Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hi, this is Buzz Knight, the host of the Taking a Walk podcast series, and we are at the historic North Bridge in Concord, Massachusetts, the shot heard round the world. And for this episode, my special guest is Adam Hanna. Adam, tell us your story. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Adam Hanna. I play trombone professionally in New England currently, and uh, my story is I came from southern Oklahoma. I grew up um, Chickasaw, Native American, and um, I have a twin brother, interestingly, and an older brother, and we all played music together, and I lived in the little small world of Oklahoma with very uh, provincial thinking until I uh, got uh, the courage to move to Texas and uh, pursue a bachelor's degree at University of Texas at Arlington. Then I got married, uh, wow, and moved overseas to Amsterdam in the Netherlands. And that's when my eyes really opened up to the bigger, broader world. And I educated myself and um, decided to, when I finished my master's, make the move to Boston because um, I got into Tanglewood as a fellow with the Boston Symphony. And my wife and I fell in love with the area and we decided to stick around. So now we live in, uh, I guess what they call Western Mass and Maynard, Massachusetts. Or not quite Western Mass, but west of Boston. And uh, yeah, we're just learning and growing here and enjoying life. And uh, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. That's awesome. So principal trombonist. Yeah. 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 For the Boston Philharmonic? Uh, I'm in the uh, Boston Philharmonic trombone section and I play principal trombone in the Oklahoma City Philharmonic, uh, which is a bit ironic because, you know, I grew up there and I moved away from there fairly young, you know, 18, 19 years old. And then um, I never thought that I would win a job back where I was from. I always thought it would be somewhere exotic, you know, like Honolulu or, you know, uh, Melbourne, Australia or something like that. But it ended up being right back where I was from. So that's kind of interesting and ironic in a way to make a full circle. But yeah, I mean, just uh, kind of going on a tangent from that. 
it's like you go back to where you're from after all those years and you sort of have this displaced sense of place like you feel like you know the place but you're like you're different but the place is more or less stayed the same and it's kind of an interesting thing you know to go make music there after everything I've learned you know well so just to paint the picture we haven't really started our walk here at the North Bridge mm. uh, yet this is your first time at the beautiful North Bridge right yeah uh-huh. and uh, so before we begin it um, Adam's got his trombone uh, with him mm-hmm. so um, noting the place mm-hmm. and maybe uh the moment in time anything you want to favor us with yeah i think so um there's a, a special chickasaw hymn that i know uh for my people that i'd like to play here um that's sort of uh signifying peace and uh, tranquility awesome Beautiful, Adam. Let's go take a walk at the North Bridge. Yeah. All right. Now I'm ready. Thank you. Taking a walk with Buzz Knight. Well, Adam, thanks for being the first uh, trombonist on the uh, Taking a Walk podcast series. Of course. It's an honor. We've had some other musicians on. We had uh, Yorma Kalkinen uh, from the Jefferson Airplane and Hot Tuna. Oh, cool. founding member, and uh, we also had Billy Payne, the mm. keyboard player from Little Feet, wow, and uh, singer-songwriter Peter Himmelman. Okay, but you are the first uh, trombonist. So. Well, I'm nowhere near as cool as any of those people you just named. So <laughs> I don't know. It's about a forewarning. That. <laughs> I don't know about that. I think that uh, beautiful uh, hymn was very cool. Tell us about that hymn. Yeah, sure. Well, um, it's something that I learned retroactively. As in, I didn't know it growing up Chickasaw. Um, There were certain traditions that I knew, um, like wearing uh, turtle shakers um, on on the ankles and uh, as sort of a percussion uh, device as part of a ceremony, but I'd never actually known any, like, Chickasaw um, melodies or music. Um, You know, a lot of that was lost um, and is now gone forever, but there's some things that exist, uh, some, some melodies that still exist, and... Um, that's one of them. So it's just something that I learned doing a... Um, I'm doing a doctoral degree at Boston University. And it's just something that I um, sort of, you know, dug up uh, in my research uh, for a project that I was doing uh, focused on um, my indigenous heritage. I loved it. It was beautiful. Thanks. So tell us, for you, uh, on your first 
walk here, uh, what you're seeing and uh, observing and feeling about uh, the North Bridge and all that it uh, certainly means and how you feel. Yeah, well, I mean, this is my first time here, but so far, um, you know, I've lived sort of close to the area, you know, within 10 miles or so, 15 miles or so, for a couple of years now. But just in this general area, I feel a strange sense of belonging that, ironically, I don't feel in Oklahoma. I grew up there, but I, you know... You have, uh, when you go back home, you have these fond memories and you have this sense of place and this sense of belonging, you know, because it's your home. You grew up there. Um, but when I go back to Oklahoma now for my work, because I live here in the Boston area and then I commute to Oklahoma City for the work, and I just don't feel that sense of place there. It's, it feels displaced, which is kind of interesting considering the, the heritage of the Chickasaw people were originally from Mississippi, from uh, the northern Mississippi wooded area, and they were relocated, you know, forcefully to Oklahoma. And it, it's just strange. It doesn't feel um, like home somehow. But, you know, this is a place that I've never been, at least, you know, not a few years ago when I moved here, and I feel like I belong here. Like I feel like the turf I walk on is um, like I belong to it. Not the other way around. I I love that because I think when we all come here, we tend to feel that way about about this, certainly this uh, pretty incredible uh, spot. Um, As we're here, there's a group of uh, members of the military that are are here, look like from a battalion. Mm -hmm. And then further over the North Bridge, uh, a group of uh, students that just came in a a bus. So it's... uh, often a very active place mm-hmm. but frequently um it's it's not that busy as well you know yeah so it's uh it's a it's a it's a pretty cool spot so so right here in front uh we're looking at the grave of the british soldiers um you speak of of, of sacred sacred spots as well mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so um how did you first become a trombonist well that actually came from um, sort of an accident. Um, it, uh, in school, you know, you have uh, things you can enroll in in elementary school and middle school and extracurricular things, and music was one of them. And my mom actually, um, who was Chickasaw, she always listened to music, all types of varieties of music. And I remember um, the sensation I had when I put on headphones for the first time, actually. And <laughs> my mom was kind of a... She was kind of a metalhead, actually. She listened to a lot of... I know, it's funny, like, you know, whose mom does that. But uh, she listened to, like, I don't know, things like Def Leppard and, you know, U2 and stuff. And I remember putting a, a Sony Walkman. I put a whatever random CD I could find, because I thought it looked cool, you know, and I pressed play and put the headphones on. And that sensation was just mind-blowing to me. So I thought, okay, I want to do music. It's the coolest thing ever. It just really resonated with me, you know, that Def Leppard CD all those years ago. So then I approached my parents about playing music, and they said, okay, well, the school has something. So I went to the band director, who basically gave me a a set of instruments to choose from. And um, I wanted to choose percussion. They already had too many. I wanted to play guitar. They said they don't have a guitar program. Then I wanted to play clarinet because I thought it looked cool. And there were too many clarinetists already, but there was this old 
trombone there uh, wasn't in very good shape and um, I ended up kind of getting stuck with that and I, I remember being upset but by the end of the day I was already playing around with it and having fun with it so um, you know and I got quite good at it quite quickly I remember it was a, a source of confidence building too you know um, through middle school and early high school too I you know I was uh, subject to school bullying and things like that and I had a low self-esteem but when I had that trombone in my hands none of that mattered because I felt like my my mind was on a different rail you know a, a better a better track some somewhere where I knew I belonged and I was almost like transported every time that I would start practicing and start working on the whatever music I needed to work on for school and then eventually for college auditions and then eventually for professional orchestras and you know and I have that same feeling now when I pick up the trombone and just last night I was playing in the Hartford Symphony for their their gala concert and I mean just every time I pick up the trombone and start playing music I feel transported I feel like outside of myself and sometimes it's hard to get back inside myself after that. Well, that's a great description. So as we're uh, at the midpoint of the bridge, looking out over the river, beautiful spot here at the North Bridge, taking a walk, uh, you led into certainly something I always think about and love asking a musician. Um, talk about the power of music, what it does for us. Mm. what it means what it means certainly over the last few years even more yeah especially over the last few years i can say but i i can't i can't alone speak to the power of music overall but it it's it has an ineffable um quality it's it's something that i i can't necessarily describe but you can see in nature for example um, we're here on the bridge looking out over the water and there's a pack of uh canadian geese <clears throat> And, you know, what's interesting is um, when I got the job in Oklahoma, I, I was happy to have a job in an orchestra, but I wasn't too thrilled about the prospect of possibly moving from this beautiful area that we live in Massachusetts to the middle of Oklahoma, where there, at the time there were a bunch of wildfires and, you know, um, anyways. But I remember when I got there, um, I went to the Oklahoma River and I saw a pack of Canadian geese. And I thought, well, that's crazy. I didn't know that they had those down there. So it made me really happy. And I often come out and observe nature and look for motifs um, in nature like that. And uh, even just like shapes, um, you know, of the river or, or certain trees. And that's, you can relate that to music too. And that, I mean, that's an all, uh, a whole topic on its own. But especially in the last few years since the since COVID became, you know, with us, um, music has been so important and such a huge part of this recovery phase. And I think people need arts right now. People need like a breath of fresh air. And I think you can get that in nature or you can get it in music. Um, in my case, I like combining the two, which is, you know, why I'm often out in nature practicing my instrument, you know, do you detect people uh, these days when you're, uh, you know, part of an orchestra? Do you detect they're even more engaged and loving it even more? If that's possible. Yeah, I would say so. I would say there's more of a sense of being grateful for being there, you know, because I think before 
the pandemic, there were a lot of things, and even still, okay, but there were a lot of things that people took for granted. And even people like in the professional, uh, all industries, but in the professional music industry too, where it's like you can take for granted that, that you are holding an instrument and, you know, um, sharing music with other people um, that need it at the same time you're making a living. And now the land, that landscape has changed a lot. So you have a lot of uh, people that I think tend to be more grateful and even maybe more expressive. But to be honest with you, I mean, and I think this is going to resonate with everybody, but this pandemic has been exhausting, just exhausting. You know, um, I, have, I haven't found a lot of uh, uh, outlets or areas of rejuvenation. I mean, music is, is a great tool, but you need more than that, too, because music represents something. It's, it's symptomatic of, um, of substance. It's symptomatic of, you know, I mean, you have to think about what were the first notes ever made. What was the first music ever made? Was it a rock or was it the human voice? <laughs> you know, and eventually you had some person walking across a park somewhere or, you know, nature and thought of a, a tune and, you know, memorized it probably or, you know, wrote it down on some stone tablets. Who knows? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that was symptomatic of that experience in nature, which is why um, indigenous culture is so cool because you have this such a strong connection to nature. And so there are all these things that I, sometimes melodies I come up with in my head because I often wonder what does Chickasaw music sound like? You know, and there are actually some very prominent uh, Chickasaw composers. One is uh, Jared Tate, who writes for, uh, I think, the uh, Westworld show on HBO. He does a lot of other things, released a CD with San Francisco Symphony and all of this. He's, he's definitely, like, big-time uh, composer. And I often wonder, what does Chickasaw, original Chickasaw music sound like? Gosh, we'll never know. But actually, I feel like that's not true, because there are these hereditary things, these, like, motivic things that happen in our existence and our heritage that come through so these melodies that I have in my head sometimes I'm thinking could that be could that be Chickasaw because I can't place it usually I if I make up a melody I'm not very I'm not super super creative so I'm like oh why that's a thing from Star Wars or you know like that's a (laughs) that's a cartoon theme yeah that's a cartoon theme right yeah but then um, sometimes things come out and just playing my trombone improvisation wise and I'm like huh I wonder if that is coming from somewhere deep somewhere indigenous Probably, you know, so I think that's kind of cool. And I I don't think all is lost, per se, as far as that culture goes, musically. So what else, in terms of either music or literature, what else inspires you? Um, Gosh, that's a really good question. I I would say um, story, actually. I married a creative writer. She writes middle-grade fantasy novels. Um, So my wife, Elise, she's um, a very creative person, and she's always making and inventing stories and even analyzing them. So other areas of inspiration for me would be something like cinema, you know, um, like just just following stories. And there's so much, I mean, let's face it, like cinema is uh, what opera was, you know, and and Puccini's time, you know. You, You think about the composer John Williams. I've worked with John Williams a few times now, fortunately. It was on my bucket list, you know, and I got the uh, fortune of working with him. Oh, great. And uh, I played a film night with him in Miami, and I I worked with him here at Tanglewood in in Massachusetts. 
And uh, I remember when I was talking to him, he's very generous with his time. And I remember we spent about half an hour just chatting backstage. And I remember that when I was talking to him, I thought, what is going through his head right now? Because it's not my conversation. <laughs> he's probably writing the next who knows what Jurassic Park melody or I, I, who knows and I think at the time he was writing for like the newer Star Wars movies so I always wonder like what's in his head and I remember standing there thinking this is like meeting Puccini or something or Beethoven you know the world just may, maybe hasn't fully realized that yet you know oh that's incredible yeah what a thrill mm-hmm. yeah it was so let's walk back over the bridge here yeah so there's a gentleman I worked for Many years ago, when I was uh, in particular managing talent at a radio station, and he remarked to me when I was talking to him about it, he said, um, you are the conductor of the orchestra, and you need to get all the musicians in your orchestra playing the tune you want. That's your job. So as somebody who's Mm -hmm. been on the other end, you in an orchestra being led by a conductor, whether mm-hmm. it be Benjamin Zander or whomever. Mm-hmm. Give me your impression of his comment relating to leadership. Yeah. Now, that's very interesting. And uh, from a certain standpoint, um, I agree with that. But also I can see, you know, I, I mean, I think that certain conductors... Uh, come into an orchestra, like for example, in Oklahoma City Philharmonic, we're very grateful and blessed to have um, Alexander Micklethwaite, a, a very prominent uh, German conductor. He he has a very clear vision when he comes in and stands in front of the orchestra, and his job is to sell that vision to us as the musicians, and then it's it's our choice to buy that vision or not, and um, you know. Sometimes uh, we don't agree with it, but if you go along with it, then you can see that point of view. You know, it can become political sometimes, but in general, um, the orchestra's job is to be together and to sound cohesive and to share a message with the audience. And sometimes that can get a bit lost in the politics of an orchestra, but that's the overall goal, is to make the audience feel that message. And if the conductor says that's what they are thinking, usually best just to go along with that (laughs) Um, but yeah but as far as leadership in the orchestra goes um, there's a hierarchy for sure I mean you have principal positions uh, which I'm in a principal position um, but that doesn't make me like you know the quote unquote boss of the orchestra or whatever it's just the principal trombone position so I have you know two other trombonists in my section and I'm trying to relay the conductor's message uh, to the rest of my section and the other principal players do that as well. It's principal violin seat and, you know, principal percussion even. Um, so there's sort of a trickle-down effect that happens. So, Adam, as we're winding down our walk here at the North Bridge, uh, what, are you, what are you working on these days besides all your work with uh, orchestras? Yeah, sure. So I'm doing an independent uh, project this summer with my um, sort of, I would say, trombone hero, named Christian Lindbergh. He's quite a famous uh, conductor and trombonist and, I mean, he's produced more CDs than any living trombonist, or I mean, any trombonist in history really. And um, he's quite extraordinary. Um, So I got the rare opportunity to work with him 
a few years ago uh, in some uh, private lessons and a master class that he did in Germany. So I went there and I did that for a week. He called it his master class from hell. You know, so it was a crazy thing where you'd wake up and run five miles and, you know, uh, eat a granola bar for breakfast and, you know, play trombone nine hours straight, that sort of thing. You know, it's very intense. So, um, and I just sort of stayed in touch after that. And he proposed the idea to record uh, some duets um, at his recording studio in uh, north of Stockholm. Uh, He has his own, you know, mansion and small island there, I guess. So, um, we're going to go, uh, a friend of mine, actually, I, when I went to Tanglewood in Boston Symphony, I, one of my trombone, um, co-fellows, colleagues there actually ended up winning a job in the Vienna Philharmonic. Um, and he's going to fly from Vienna to Stockholm and I'm going to fly to Stockholm just here in a couple of weeks and, uh, pick him up. So we're going to go over to Christian's house together and, uh, collaborate on the CD together where we all kind of play, you know, a part and... Uh, he's going to produce it on his uh, album, uh, European Gramophone. So it's going to be a very, very big deal for me, a very cool project, sort of a dream come true. And uh, after that, I'm finished with the summer, and then I start, um, you know, kicking back and hitting the sandy beaches. And <laughs> there you go. Oh, man, that's great. Yeah. Well, thank you for taking a very special walk here at the, the North Bridge in Concord, Massachusetts, Adam Hanna. And uh, I was wondering if, if you might sort of play us play us out yeah absolutely and I'll, I'll go ahead and give you just a little bit of context for this so I don't just play it out of the blue here but um, this is an old song um, called I'm Getting Sentimental Over You made famous by a trombonist Tommy Dorsey and he had a very particular type of uh, vibrato that I'm going to try to capture here and like what we were saying earlier how music can be uh, can transport you and I often feel that when you listen to something and you feel transported and that music ends, there's a little bit of hang time where you feel like you're still in that place and then you come to and you're like, wait a second, okay, I'm here in my car driving or I'm at my desk or whatever, wherever you are, and you have this feeling where you, you come back. Um, well, in this case, um, I'm going to try to establish that sense of place and try try to see maybe how long you can stay there when it's finished could be interesting and then you know the great thing with modern media is you can um, hit the replay button and go right back to that place there you go and in my opinion it's as good as being in that place you know so this i would say maybe 1920s paris nice (laughs) thank you adam Mm Thank you. 
Taking a Walk with Buzz Knight is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.